Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'll be your host. In last week's conversation, I mentioned that I'd taken advantage of their international membership option to join the Portable Sanitation Association International, or PSAI. Well, this week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome the executive director of the PSAI, Carleen Koss, who joined me from Minnesota. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad finally to meet you. I've been talking to Ross about having you come on the show for at least six months. Yeah, I know. He's mentioned it a few times. He's a great fan and he's been really helpful because he keeps sending me tips and ideas and gives me very honest feedback. He's not pulled any punches. He's on our board, as you know, and yeah. I would trade him for 10 of a lot of other people. So, You've been there for quite a while, haven't you? About seven years, yeah. Enjoying it? Yeah. Oh, you know, you'll never find a better bunch of people to work with and for. It's really a great industry and, and I've really enjoyed serving these folks. I can't think of any other industry where people are so willing to help what are essentially their competitors. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's very reassuring and very refreshing. Whenever I contemplate some other industries that I'm acquainted with and, you know, some of them might sound... I don't know, to someone who's contemplating their career, you know, more impressive. I don't know. I'm at that stage of life where it's like, you know, I'd rather work with wonderful people and have the stress be stress from doing good work together than dealing with egos and fussing over who's going to get the promotion and who's got the money and whose PhD came from a better university or, or whatever. You, know? sure. you just don't have that in this industry. No. Doing the show over the last year, it's been really free of egos. I've not spoken to anybody who's been all about blowing their own trumpet. Everyone's been very happy to share ideas and information and just generally tell their story about how they got going, what they're up to, what their plans are. It's, it's been really, really good. For You've started to really uh, get noticed in this, so good for you. Well, thank you. I remember I sat in on one of the early lockdown open roundtables that you held. That was a year ago. It had been right at the start of lockdown globally. And it was just really interesting to hear people share their perspectives and their ideas. I've got to congratulate you on a lot of the resources that the PSAI publishes and shares. You've got some really top-notch stuff on your website there. Well, thank you. If we're not meeting the needs of our members and we're not advancing the usefulness of the industry, then there's really no point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me who writes all of that stuff? Is there an in-house development team? <laughs> well, the in-house development team is the person on your screen. <laughs> I gather information from as many sources as I can, but I, I write it. Well, good for you. It's, it's really polished and very well put together, I have to say. There's just so much information there for members and a lot for non-members as well. A lot of it is publicly accessible. We do try to make a good bit accessible, especially things that would be relevant to a user or to a customer. And we hope enough is accessible to a non-member that they think, I want more of that. And hopefully what they find behind the paywall is even more intriguing than what they found for free. I know the title is Portable Sanitation Association International. Do you have a good spread of overseas members? Well, uh, I'll be honest with you. Our membership is about 85% American and 15% international. And the reason for that is, is we're a small organization and a small industry. So with a staff of three people. I had this vision that it was enormous. No, that's what, that's what I said. You know, I'm the development team. But the thing is that that's how we 
try to conduct ourselves so that we are multiplying our reach by, you know, using our resources and our connections strategically. So even though only about 15% of our members are non-Americans right now, we welcome members from all over the world and we work with people from all over the world. We've been engaged in helping to develop ISO standards. We talk with people from any nation in the world who's trying to build their own standards. And we interact at those other, you know, national levels. Yeah, well, Jack um, Sim from the World Toilet Organization told me that you'd collaborated with him on a number of projects. And he's going to collaborate with us as well. So, yeah, it's a wonderful industry because everybody just sort of helps each other. When you deliver the training, have you got a team of specialist trainers that you deploy then if there's just a staff of three? Well, what we do, we have a committee made of volunteers who are longtime experts in the field. And I serve sort of as the curriculum developer. And together we put the content together based on you know what they know and gathering information from all over the industry. I build the curriculum. And at this point in time, this, the trainers are those people who helped create the training as well as myself. But we are going to be launching a train the trainer course um, at the end of this year. And so people who are willing to go through a train-the-trainer curriculum, pay the fees and maintain their skills, will be able to train on our behalf going forward. That's really interesting to hear. I've been involved in quite a lot of training, and it's an, an endless game because things change so much. There's always something new that you have to, a new piece of legislation or a new set of standards that you have to comply with. My experience is that training's the area where Restroom operators lack. That, that's the one area I'd really like to see improved. The training for drivers, it's too easy to put the driver in the cab, send them out on a run and leave them to it. The PSAI developed some training as far back as 1992. But to your point, things are changing all the time. And so when I arrived about seven years ago, I don't want to say we started over, but we definitely started back at the beginning and rebuilt those courses. And now we have a process by which those courses are updated on a routine basis. In the past year, we updated our special events course and our job sites course because COVID was a game changer. And we're currently in the process of updating our American national standards related to portable sanitation. When that is done, then we'll go back and update our basic service technician courses in light of the new standards. Who would have predicted, Colleen, the impact of COVID? It's just been surreal. Well, you know, it, it has been, but as far as who would have predicted. I wouldn't have predicted COVID, but as far back as 2015, we had a committee already called our Education Initiative, and that group really was hungry to, you know, change the reputation of portable sanitation globally. And I said, well, there are ways that we can do that and ways that we can be ready for something out of our control that happens. I'm a great fan of Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. Everybody on the committee read the book, and we built a strategy aimed at evolving the reputation of our industry from a hated necessary evil to what we now are working toward, which is that we want to be viewed as a respected alternative. And that strategy, you know, we knew would take probably a couple of decades unless there was a tipping point, unless there was something out of our control that gave us this massive boost. We had been talking about that for five years before 
COVID happened. And when it happened, we all said, this is it. This is the tipping point. The response seems to have been very well researched and very measured and designed to keep operators up to date and recent developments. Yes. And and what that means is sometimes what we're talking about is the best information we have up to that date. And a month later, there's new information and then we correct ourselves. I want the PSAI to be a place where you can get the best information there is and the most accurate information there is up to that date. So, you know, you can go on Facebook for free and talk amongst your mates, but that may or may not be good information. It may or not be accurate. Exactly. And so we're striving to be accurate, at least up to any given day that it's published. And I've got to congratulate you on the way that the association has adopted technology. I mean, you've been at the forefront of using Zooms and online platforms to share and bring people together. And that struck me that you were actually really well prepared for that. Well, it's nice of you to say that. I mean, I think necessity is the mother of invention. And fortunately, I had some skills that we could use, but also, you know, people were very willing. They didn't want to be cut off from one another for a year at a time, so they jumped in. Are you still working from home or have you been able to go back into the office? At the moment, we are mostly still working remotely. Each of our three staff members will spend about one day a week in the office at the moment. And when things return to whatever the new normal is going to be, we will most likely be in the office, each of us, a couple of days a week. So the office will be covered. But people have gotten used to working at home and without the commute and the smaller carbon footprint. If we go back to the old normal, it's going to be really difficult for a lot of people, I think. I think I think you're right. So we're going to stay flexible. We're always going to do what our members need us to do, and we'll be physically wherever our members need us to be. But if we can uh, contribute to uh, better air quality and so forth by staying home some of the time, we will. And Carly, what are your predictions for the set pieces like the pumper show and, and the water show and things like that that we'd normally see? Do you think we'll get back to those? Great question. My crystal ball is a little fuzzy on this, um, but what I can say is this industry loves to gather and we don't have the kind of equipment that you're going to buy without kicking the tires, at least not very long. So I expect this year, 2021, events that are held will probably be smaller just because of the COVID uh, aftermath and because people will be a little cautious. But Give it a year or two, and there will always, I think, be in this industry an appetite for gathering and for putting your hands on big equipment and and meeting with people. I hope so. I'd love to come over to the States and take part in one of those big events. Just, as you say, walk around, kick a few tyres, shake a few hands and talk to people. It's such a cool industry. And to see a lot of the new technology that's emerging and the new product development, can't wait for that all to come back online, to be honest. Well, and you're not alone. A great deal of our industry is very anxious to gather. It's finding that way through the thicket of the evolving situation and what the governments will allow and the vaccines and what they will and won't do and all of that. That's the biggest problem we've got here in New Zealand. We've, we've not got any community cases, but we can't get in and out of the country. <laughs> yeah, we've got plenty of community cases and we can't get in and out of the country. So, you know. In a typical restroom operator's life cycle, they decide they're going into business, they buy their tank and their truck and their toilets. What stage do you find they normally join the association? It does depend. What I see is when people are new or just coming into the industry, if they hear about us or if they have familiarity with another association and they know what associations do, we'll get people early on. 
And in those first few years, you'll see people join. Then, you know, we have a lot of members who have legacy. They're second and third generation owners, and their family has been in the association for a long time. The folks that are challenging and that I would love to do better with are companies that have been established for a while. They believe they're doing well, and they're sort of like, I don't need an association. I'm doing fine without them. Why should I spend money? Especially, why should I spend money for friends? You know, I don't need these people. I can do it myself. Those are folks where it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And if you uh, give it a, a chance, you might find that the 400 or $500 you spend on membership would save you 10000 because you wouldn't make some equipment purchase that would be ill-advised, or you will discover a new way to promote your uh, services that gets you a new contract or, or whatever. But the folks who don't know what they don't know and don't believe they need an association are sort of the most challenging ones to bring in. And have you any idea what percentage of the operators are members? Of the operators globally, I have I really don't have an idea because there's no way to track it globally. In the United States, just looking at that, you have to think about it in terms of there are around 1,200 companies that have portable sanitation as their main business, then another couple of thousand who have it as one of their main business lines, and another 6,000 or so that have it as a tertiary business. Yeah. yeah. Of those first two groups, we have about uh, 430 company members, but they represent probably around 65% of the inventory on the ground. It just depends on how you count it. By toilets or trucks or drivers or companies. Yeah, I get that. Are you happy there? or? Well, of course, I'll be happy when we have all 3,000 of yeah. them. But as I say, the the key really is talking to the people who don't know about us and helping them see value. And the other is talking to people who do know about us, but imagine that they don't need us. You know, there are some people that are just never going to be convinced. You know, I've run into a handful and they're just sort of uh, lone wolves and they enjoy doing it their own way. And, and that's just yeah. fine for, for them. Yeah. But there are a lot of folks who I think don't know everything that the PSAI does. And when they realize it, they're like, well, heavens, sign me up. So it's, it's really just making contact with them and, and helping them to see that uh, it may not be what they think it is. It may be much more than that. And for a new entrant, where is the best place for them to find out? And on our website, PSAI.org, or give us a call. I think you run a couple of Facebook pages as well. There's certainly one for the association. And then have you got a group as well? The most popular group on Facebook is not run by us. It's called Portable Toilet Network. And that is not run by us, but a lot of our members participate on it. We have a Facebook page. And then we also do have a group called Portable Toilet Professionals. The difference between the two groups really is that the one has nothing to do with us. And so there may be things on there sometimes that is wonderful information. And sometimes it's a little questionable. Whereas what you see on ours is going to be, we hope, the best information available. Are you still holding that open forum, the roundtables? I know you went through a phase you invited outsiders to join in. Yes, we still hold those. They're 
on our calendar, mostly bi-weekly. In, in other words, every other week. We occasionally skip a week. For example, when we, we are having, and this is a great uh, segue you've given me, we are having a, an education conference that is free the week of April 13th. If you remember, it's free for you and free for every member of your company all day, every day. If you are a non-member, you can choose one day to come all day for free. Again, you and anybody in your company to get a flavor of, of what we do. And so the week of April 13th, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there will be something for everybody. Come and go as you please. It's being run from 10 o'clock at U.S. Central Time, which I believe is uh, GMT minus six. So kind of late for New Zealand, but sign up. You know, even if you're in New Zealand, sign up because if you have signed up, you can have access to the recordings later, which may be helpful to you. And is there a curriculum or have you got an idea of the topics that you'll be covering? Absolutely. Those are on our website. Yeah. And each day is sort of aimed at a different uh, set of information. The first day we're calling Industry Day, and that's focused more on general industry topics. And we have some of our famous roundtables involved there. The second day is really aimed at that driver and service staff group of people and the skills for them. And then the third day is aimed mostly at sales and office support staff. I mean, anybody can come any day. There's something for everybody, but we tried to sort of focus topics in bundles so that it would be easier for companies to plan who would attend when. You mentioned two aspects there that I've not really got into in last season or this season so far, sales and then the support staff. And I, I have to tip my hat to the support staff around the world who may listen in. Nothing happens on the ground without the people in the office coordinating the calls and routing the trucks and everything. It's a really important part of the industry. Absolutely. And sending the bills and dealing with the ruffled customer and uh, all of that. And that's where those Facebook groups come in. There's, every day there seems to be a post about an interaction with a customer of one description or another. Well, and I don't think portable sanitation is unusual in that. I think whether you, if you work in fast food or you work in a department store or portable sanitation, you know, we all do get some stories. We really do. In terms of cost for joining the association, have you got an indication of for a, a new operator who's maybe just got the one truck and a couple of people helping out? So our very basic level of membership within the U.S. and Canada is 495 U.S. dollars a year. Outside of the U.S. and Canada, it's 295 U.S. dollars a year. Then there are packages that go up depending on what benefits you want. Our membership can be tailored to your needs once you get past that basic level. And I appreciated the opportunity to join as an international member. New Zealand's a long way from anywhere, but I know that you have got some members here. I've seen the logos on their trucks, and I know quite a lot of the other operators who are members with you already. We have some marvelous members from New Zealand who actually travel to the U.S. at least annually, usually, to come to our events because they have found good people and uh, good uh, conversation and we love them as well. In fact, we brought, I think, uh, a group to New Zealand uh, to visit them a few years ago. It's just a different world at the moment and fingers crossed we'll start to come right. One of the issues that I, I mentioned in the email I'd like to talk about is the current climate around the market conditions. We've seen the Suez Canal be blocked this week, which will just compound freight delays, I'm sure. I know that Mike Adams from Polyjohn and John Babcock from 
satellite spoke this week about the delays and the shortages in plastic resin. And it just seems, I mentioned a couple of times, we seem to be heading into a perfect storm where you couldn't put together a more complicit set of circumstances than we're seeing at the moment. I just, I'd like to just gauge your thoughts on that and the impact on the industry. I'm the sort of person that I, I'm always going to figure out how to make lemonade out of lemons. It's going to be a challenging time for sure with the production delays due to uh, supply issues. But we've been dealing with similar things for the last year. You know, it was for a while it was masks and it was uh, hand, we couldn't get hand sanitizer and so forth. So I don't in any way mean to minimize the inconvenience of all of that. But the silver lining is that our services and our products were often grossly underpriced prior to the pandemic. And between the pandemic reminding everyone of what their mothers and grandmothers taught them in the first place about hand washing and the importance of good sanitation, and now some of these issues which are going to increase costs, you cannot go without toilets and hand washing. You cannot go without sanitation. But the backhanded blessing of these shortages means that we have to raise our costs. There is no choice. And once those prices are elevated, it will be certainly important once things get uh, back to whatever normal is going to be for the market to correct. But my hope is that people will see the wisdom in not overcorrecting and getting to where we've underpriced again. So I view it as an opportunity to correct our underpriced goods and services in the market. I'm really glad that you've mentioned that because for a long time I thought it was me that I was dealing with customers who constantly pushed and pushed and pushed to get the lowest possible price. And it never tallied for me that we were performing a really essential service, one that nobody else wanted to do. Yet in the eyes of the project managers and the site managers and the foremen and the forewomen who were running these projects, they were only interested in getting it as cheaply as they possibly could, and it didn't sit right. And I'm really pleased to see that maybe the levels are being corrected. And certainly in the event market, you can't run an event anymore without proper sanitation, and that's not going to come cheap, is it? No, but I think, again, here's where the PSAI strategy about evolving the image of our industry and COVID being a tipping point. One of the things that I talked about for years before this happened was the fact that in many cases, portable toilets were left on job sites or left at event sites, and they were not serviced for really long intervals. You know, what I would hear from operators is, well, the customer won't pay for that, so I'm not going to do it. And the customer had the impression that portable sanitation was a necessary but unpleasant evil that they didn't want to deal with. And so it was a, a vicious cycle in the wrong direction. With COVID and with the guidelines that we published uh, as a result of what was being required around the world for essential industries and job sites and so forth, we have you know, reinvented what that frequency of service should be. And at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was afraid of the virus living on surfaces. So we managed to get customers to understand the importance of going into those units and wiping them down several times a day. 
Now, this is just common sense. You wouldn't go to any other department store or church or anywhere where people didn't wipe down a bathroom, a, a restroom, several times a day if the public is using it. Yet portable toilets were often left for days or a week at a time. So what's happening now is that as people have seen that portable restrooms do not have to be unpleasant, right. that if we take care of them the same way that we take care of a fully plumbed toilet, it can be an exceptional experience. Yeah, it can. All of a sudden, now we're willing to pay for it because we start to see that it's not a commodity. It's a service that can be differentiated based on quality. Most of the states in Australia insist that you can only deploy flushing toilets. They've moved away from open tanks. And I, I don't know, is mm -hmm. that starting to be a thing in the States or are open tanks still pretty common? Well, in a lot of the world, including the United States, open tanks are still common as far as regulations. I believe in, in parts of Canada, there are requirements for flushing uh, units as well. But going back to what I was saying about the backhanded blessing of COVID, as people have learned more about our industry and more about what's available, things like trailers and flushing units are becoming more common because people are suddenly going, oh, I didn't realize this was, this was even an option. The tragedy of the millions of people who have died from COVID, I don't in any way mean to make light of that, but the other side of it is that, that this has been a tipping point for sanitation, and my hope is that we can use it to continue to make people's lives better, even after COVID is not a, an issue anymore. Back to that very first episode when I put Get Flush Together, my aim was to help improve the standard when you open the door in a restroom that was all I, I set out to achieve and that mm -hmm. was based on my personal experiences both in the industry and then as a customer when I've been to events. The other thing I'd mention uh, whether for yourself Pete or for anybody who's listening the PSAI is going to be updating its uh, standards now these are American national standards because we are based in the United States but uh, there will be uh, sessions where you can come and listen and give feedback on the things that we're considering for those standards. You, there will also be the opportunity to provide public comment on those standards. And while, again, these will be American national standards, quite often our standards are of use in reviewing standards elsewhere. And in countries where there are no standards, ours are used as a reference point. So I would certainly encourage anyone, whether they are a user or an operator of a company or a supplier, to uh, engage with us. There's information about that available on our website, as well as I've done some articles in the Pro Magazine and some other places that our industry folks might come across it. I imagine a lot of those principles will be transferable to other markets. There's no great difference in Asia compared to North America, compared to Europe, is there? A lot of the principles will be. There certainly are occasionally differences, maybe in the size of the unit that's manufactured or the particular local laws or whatever, but the concepts, I think, are quite transferable. Yeah. That might be a nice opportunity just to talk about ADA units. Is there a set of standards for ADA? Well, the Americans with Disabilities Act is very specific about the standards for something to be classified as actually ADA compliant. One of the challenges in our industry has been that units that are actually ADA compliant are very large and bulky. And so operators asked the suppliers to create something 
that is today called an accessible unit, but is not ADA compliant. That's a challenge for us because sometimes operators don't even understand that their units are not ADA compliant, which is not going to meet the law's requirements. The other thing that is an issue is that the spirit of the Americans with Disabilities Act is that a person with disabilities should not have a different experience than a person who is able-bodied. And now that trailers are becoming more common, trailer manufacturers that I've talked with estimate between 80 and 90% of the trailers that are available are not ADA compliant. And we're going to get to a situation where people who have need of ADA compliant facilities are going to look at a large plastic unit and not see that as comparable to the air-conditioned, pumped-in music, granite countertops available in the uh, trailer. So I look for that to be an issue as well. In fact, the PSAI is working on a a guidance document on that that should come out later in the summer. I'll be talking to Tony Volk from General Coach Canada in the next couple of weeks. So I'll ask him about what their plans are and what moves they've been able to make in making their trailers ADA compliant. That is my cat who is protesting. I think that she is not getting enough attention. I apologize. One of my frustrations with ADA units is that they invariably have a really small tank. So the capacity of them is much reduced compared to a standard unit and maybe as much as a third or 50% of the capacity. And then the other issue at events is they become a magnet for large groups of young women and young men to congregate inside the ADA unit. I don't know if you've got any tips for coping with that. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, the units have smaller tanks, and I think that's an engineering challenge for the manufacturers because of the requirements for handrails and the other things that have to be dealt with. However, the issue with them being a magnet what we see is that families want to use them because they're, it's easier for you to assist children or assist um, a person with special needs in them. So they have their place. It comes down to, are we going to continue to leave these restrooms unattended, in which case they will be a magnet for all sorts of things? Or are we going to treat them the way we would treat restrooms in an indoor sewered facility and have some kind of oversight it's a real challenge because that's an extra cost in the eyes of the event promoter isn't it that somebody to be the attendant on the ada units is just an extra burden on them and it and it really should be like that it should be that we provide the very best facility for people who need to use them you know and again this is going to take time but my view is whatever we would do for a fully sewered indoor unit is what we should do for portable units outside. The nature of human behavior does not change because you don't have four walls and a sewer under it. So the mindset always kind of has been portable toilets, just drop them and leave them and let nature sort it out. And and that's why we have had some of the uh, unfortunate conditions in the portable units. And then, you know, the notion that people sometimes have of nobody cares about these things anyway, so I can abuse them or be up to no good in them. So what would you do if you had a men's room and a, a women's room with 20 toilets in them inside of a building. You'd probably, if you had a huge event, you'd have an attendant 
you'd have smoke detectors that keep smoking away. And, and I don't know that that's practical in a portable unit, but yeah, I think you take my point. Why would we provide less oversight in one environment? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah without doubt. I'm interested to hear how people might get themselves elected to represent on the PSAI board. Oh, great question. Well, first, people would need to become a member. And I believe the bylaws say that you have to have been a member for a full year. Then basically anyone can nominate another member or themselves to be on the board. And we have an open and contested elections. So if there are three spots, there will usually be six candidates or around that. And the kinds of people who are usually elected are people who have been very active, people who have been involved on committees, people who have been visible in helping to create content or have been in our newsletter, because you vote for people that you've heard of and that you know are knowledgeable. And what's the term, Carleen? How long do they normally stay with the board? So we have two classes of directors. There are operators and people who are non-operators, which is usually suppliers and people who provide services like insurance or, or whatever. Both groups have the ability to have two three-year terms. The difference is that if you're on the operator side, you can also become an officer ultimately and work your way through the officer track. And if you do that, let's say you've gotten elected to a three-year term and in year three, you become the, the, the secretary. Uh, you mentioned Ross a little while ago. Um, he's now the secretary, so he'll become the treasurer and then the vice president and the president and so on. So he'll be around a good long time, we hope. He makes a valuable contribution, I'm sure. Very valuable. We appreciate Ross a great deal. No, he's been a great ally um, for me over the, the past year. I've really appreciated the help and the advice he's lent me. And that's been pretty common. I've met so many good people through the industry. It's been really heartwarming that there is just such a measure of goodwill. I think that's the only way I can explain it, that there's just lots of people who've been willing to participate and help and share ideas. And it's not been about ego at all. It really hasn't. Well, and I think, Pete, to be fair to you, your spirit, how you've come into the industry, just, you know, open and wanting to learn and wanting to be helpful is getting you that in return. Every so often someone comes in and you can tell they don't think much of the industry and they sort of strut around like they're going to show us all how to do it. And uh, those folks find a different experience. I love it, honestly. And I keep saying in the show, I'm not saying I've got the right ideas or the best ideas. It's about having the conversation, isn't it? Yeah. We've been going for 45 minutes. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I'm really grateful that you've been able to spend some time with me today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share to listeners about the PSAI or Carleen or the future? <laughs> well, just that I think the, the portable sanitation industry is truly going to be going to the next level in terms of quality and outreach and ability to make a massive amount of positive change in the world, despite all that's happened with COVID. And so I do hope if you're involved in the portable sanitation industry, you'll get involved in the association because we can do far more together than any of us can do separately and we welcome operators from all over the world to join us thank you for your time carlene and uh, i'm sure we'll talk again soon absolutely thank you pete i appreciate you i'm sure many people in the industry breathed a massive sigh of relief when the ever given container ship was refloated and the Suez canal allowed to reopen this week Experts indicate that the closure has cost billions of dollars and that it could take weeks to clear the backlog of delays. 
I'm pretty sure that this will have a huge effect on the portable restroom industry, both in Europe and beyond. And we've also seen a little bit of talk this week that it might even lead to the second great toilet paper shortage of recent times. I've invited some of the manufacturers and suppliers that service our industry to join me on the show to talk about how market conditions are affecting production, distribution and pricing. And I look forward to bringing you those episodes over the next few weeks. As usual, please tell your family, friends, colleagues, customers and strangers all about Get Flushed and persuade them to listen in. And if you subscribe or follow the show on your podcast app, you'll get every episode delivered direct to your device each weekend. And if you can't wait until the weekend to hear the next episode, visit patreon.com slash getflushed, where a modest monthly donation will secure early access to every episode and bonus material that's not available anywhere else. Thank you again to Carleen Cost from the PSAI for joining me this week. Please visit their website, psai.org. And thank you to Ross Ambrose, who facilitated the introduction and arranged that interview. I've sent a Get Flush mug by way of thanks to Carleen, and I'm sure that we'll talk again. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete, and you've been listening to Get Flushed, 